Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to another edition of Rainer Hirsch's Proms in the Pub. My name is Rainer Hirsch and this is my deeply unauthorised podcast about the BBC Proms at the Albert Hall. Before we get into this edition's guest, don't forget you can get in touch with us at www.promsinthepub.co.uk, leave us some feedback and listen to every episode in the series so far. In France, they say merde. In Italy, in the mouth of the wolf. In Russia, the phrase is neither fur nor feather, to which the recipient replies, go to hell, apparently. But in English-speaking countries, performers wishing one another good luck say, break a leg, though nobody can quite remember why. The complete opposite of good fortune, maybe? Perhaps bowing looks like you might have broken a leg? Who knows? But last week, it was reported that conductor of the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, Kirill Petrenko, had taken it all too literally and actually broken a leg, requiring surgery, which sounded grim. Over the last few days, this has been downgraded to Kirill Petrenko having only broken a toe, which is inconvenient, but less grim surgery not mentioned. Perhaps later we'll hear that he had, in fact, only broken a toenail. Whatever. It is injury enough for him to cancel his participation in the second proms concert being given by the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra on September the 4th. Mahler's one-hour, 20-minute 7th symphony on September the 3rd can be performed on a broken toe wall, whatever it is. But the second concert, the other concert, the one I've got a ticket for, can't. Daniel Harding, all of whose toes are intact apparently, is taking his place and the Shostakovich symphony they were going to play, this... has been replaced by Bruckner Symphony No. 4, this. Super disappointment, or as they say in France, merde. The other news is about the news, I suppose, how much it varies. Except, of course, on the BBC, where everything is permanently super, wonderful, excellent. The Telegraph newspaper has run articles headed Why is the BBC intent on ruining the proms? Others have described them as excellent. A couple of days ago, I was surprised to see a concert I attended which featured César Franck's symphony in D minor, described in The Guardian's awesome and characterised by powerful, sweeping nobility. I felt it was a bit non-friendly, with some sloppy playing from the BBC Symphony Orchestra. 
The only thing on which there has been universal agreement was the gaming prom on August the 1st, a concert in which the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra played music from video games. All serious commentators tried to pretend it just wasn't happening. I thought it was great. Who can resist a concert which has a piece called Final Fantasy VIII? Fantasies 1-7 to having not been quite so final as previously advertised. Our news... That Cesar Franck concert, which also had the Brahms Violin Concerto, was a Proms in the Pub outing, included in our next episode, in which Tom Walker, who has created the ranting political correspondent Jonathan Pye, would appear. Tom was a Promenade concert's virgin, and it was great to take him to see his first prom and hear his reactions to life listening to music without being able to sit down. Listen for that, coming up next Thursday. Our other attendee was a man who has participated in every episode of this podcast. When Proms of the Pub was first conceived, I wondered out loud to producer Julian Mayers whether Harry the Piano might be conjoled, bribed or drugged into taking part and contributing a topical treat at the end of each programme. Regular listeners will know that is just what he's done. Now, as we move into the final weeks of this series, it's surely time to meet the man behind such wonderful concoctions as La Donna e Mobile and Tchaikovsky given the strictly come dancing treatment. Where does he come from, Harry? How does he do it? Ladies and gentlemen, this is our audience with the great Harry the Piano. pleasure it is to have Harry the piano in my house not Wowzers. only Wowzers. it is it's absolutely you know you're I think people basically listen to our podcast just to get to you I mean they, they have to put up with this waffle beforehand they have to cut through a few adverts and then finally get to the decent bit you t- you mentioned when we were before we got on recording that you went to Latimer School is that right I did yes in Hammersmith not just down the road from here yeah yeah um and yeah that was Brilliant teaching. I was a scholarship boy. You know, my parents, we were the proverbial church mice. Uh, my dad was a vicar. And um, he uh, aspirational regards education. Two working class kids, my parents, in effect. And uh, they, But they both wanted for me, my sister and I, to have the education that they didn't have in the classic story. And uh, did quite well in the entrance exam because I grew up without TV and was just uh, immersed in music, classical music only and books because that can, was my father's. Can I probe how old you are? Now? Yeah. Yeah, 58 now. Right. Born in 64. We're the same generation. So yeah, you didn't have a TV. We only had a TV. No, TV not to us the moon landings. Moon, nope. Moon, moon landings, no. Not even that. Not even for that. Blissfully unaware. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> We've landed on the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to break the news too. Yeah, no, spoiler. <laughs> spoiler alert. Kennedy's dead. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay, but there was. I mean, there's, there's, there are huge holes in, in kind of the knowledge that you glean from having those kind of news sources in your house that come back to bite me in the ass when I'm taking requests and people ask for the tunes that everybody knows except I don't because I didn't have a TV so I missed that theme tune. But in many ways, advantageous because you read more and you learn, you listen to music more. Yeah, and uh, I suppose that's what sort of set me off on the trail. It's just you know I had this kind. Of, and then walked into the scholarship with amazing musical tuition, and also the kind of teachers that weren't too ruler on the back of the knuckles about doing the scales and arpeggios actually gave you some encouragement about improvising and going taking sort of left turns that most people would discourage not to do yeah. in a traditional way so that all kind of fed into the where I am now which is earning my living as an improviser 
And then when I was four years old, some church member donated us. Uh, we came into a, a, an upright piano, which is like the new toy arrived in the house. And that was, yeah, and I, was, and I started picking out tunes with one finger, thinking that like this was something everybody did. And they said, oh, he's, there's something there. We should send him to the organist for lessons. And that's how I started off having lessons at four years old. So, so check this out. This is quite an interesting thing. Do you remember Listen with Mother on Radio 3? Yes. Uh, with the with the foray. Da, ba, da, I used to be Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly that. So that tune was in my head from whenever it was, five years old. But I'd never played it, I'd never learnt it, because obviously at that age it's, it's far too sophisticated. And it's, it's not something ever... It's a as well. Exactly. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it never crossed my sort of repertoire. And then about, what would have been... 20 years on, I'm sat in the Groucho Club playing, and there's some guy, it might even have been, this is Kalang, but it might even have been Stephen Fry, because um, he was in there every night, that's why I think that. And asked, can you play, do you know that, the Dolly Suite that they used to do? And I'm thinking, oh yeah, I know that. And I sat there and play, played it all, almost perfectly, you know, the sort of. And I was thinking, and then I started, I stopped and thinking, like, I'd never learned that. And I know it from 20 years ago when I wouldn't have had the proficiency to understand what was happening. But somehow it stayed in my brain, unscrambled, and now just directly down into the fingers. And I go, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah. I'm not trying to aggrandise myself, no, but it's, it's an odd thing. It's, the, it's more than weird. Work? It's astonishing. Yeah. So people who can't do that, oh, which is 90 99.999% of the, of the you know, piano playing public, um, essentially, you remember things on the piano and the chords and that's the sound yes. and, and the, you know, where it is on the piano mm -hmm. in the same way that other people remember speech. And even that is an unusual <coughs> thing to be able to just rattle off something. But nevertheless, that, that's, how it, that's how it is for you. That really is, yeah. And I'm, I'm asked this endlessly, what's in your head when you're, when you're doing this? You know, when people will throw 10 requests at you and say, can you play this tune? And then, so you've got, and in this different style. So yeah. Can you play Mash of the Day as a Strauss Waltz? And then can you play the theme to EastEnders and the start of Debussy? And so you've got all of these requests up there written on a piece of paper in front of you. Yeah. And it's the links that are the fun things. Right. I mean, but the, the, actually doing those things, you can't possibly think in real time at that speed about what chord, what inversion, what key am I going to play it in. It's just, it's an instinct, an instinctual muscle that you just, you kind of have an idea, okay, that's how Debussy would have played that tune. You add in a whole, whole turn scale, you add some of those kind of cathedral englouti type harmonizations, and it just comes out. I mean, I'm not, it's not a very erudite description of no, what happens. No, let's hear some cathedral, cathedral englouti. <laughs> so just those sounds, just some chords. Which, when you just said, you mentioned Debussy chords, what are, we, what are you talking about? Okay, so uh, give me a tune, give me like a simple diatonic three tune or something. Mice. Three blind mice. Is that, is that you know, you're, you're straight in the soundscape straight yeah, away, aren't you? That, that is amazing. I mean, that is like, it's just, I, know, I know to you, and that you've had this conversation, a hundred thousand times, well, a lot of times. Yes, lots of uh, times. Because uh, people just sit in awe because they have no understanding of how that could possibly be, because if you struggle... Well, see, that's the thing, isn't it? When you're, what you and I have in common, I think, is we, we play on the comedy of, that's inherent in that juxtaposition of high art and low art. So if you're playing EastEnders in the style of Rachmaninoff, it's inherently comic, isn't it? Because you're, you're, you're making this big, grandiose kind of musical edifice out of those somewhat unpromising material. And that's like I have a, a Mozart sonata based on the theme tune to Scooby-Doo. 
But there's, yeah. there's a whole whole sonata based on those themes, which is, I mean, it kind of people always laugh, especially when you you come out of the intro and then you get to the, and that's it's just to hear that ridiculous tune played in the style of Mozart. There's people just start laughing. It's the same with uh, the, the thing that you featured the other day, um, uh, the moonlight and, and night and day married together in the style of Beethoven. You know. first one of those I ever came up with and it was so seductive that I played that and there was this ripple of laughter around the hall and I think people are laughing at so there's no words here they're just laughing at the the, the stupidity of going of kind of morphing so seamlessly from from Beethoven into Cole Porter there's, there's something inherently comic about it Dudley Moore did it Victor Borger did it and all those people and I, don't, I think you're right it's, it's it shouldn't be denigrated I think it's, it's a funny it's clever it's witty it's slightly irreverent but it's a it's an inclusive thing and it's, it's giving people access to two different things at once and it's, it's instinctively funny I think yeah um you touched on some names then of people who've done this kind of stuff before us well I mean I feel that um yeah there are very few people doing doing this matching of low and high yeah. art yes the way you put it I think it's very good way of putting it. One of the big names uh, was uh, Victor Borger, and I know you mentioned, I think, and some of our exchanges, Borger, or we've had some story about that, and I um, I did actually a programme about Victor Borger with Julian, who's in this room now with us. It was actually the beginning of our first series about musical comedy called uh, All the Right Notes, Not Necessarily in the Right Order, and uh, yeah, that comes from uh, the Eric Morecambe uh, Andre Previn sketch uh, where um, Eric Morgan is trying to play Greed Piano Concerto. <laughs> Andre Previn comes over to him and says, You're playing all the wrong notes. And uh, Eric Morgan grabs his other pals and says, I'm playing all the right notes, <laughs> but not necessarily in the right order. That, uh, by the way, has become a catchphrase which I've heard, you know. Borderized. <laughs> uh, it gets as does the name Victor Borger because when you say you do this kind of thing, yes. Oh, I, you know, you're too young. But do you remember there was a man? I think he was from Sweden or something. He was, <laughs> David, <laughs> and, and he was Scandi Weegen. Scandi Weegen or someone like that. And uh, he was a big name Victor exactly Borger. Right. Do you remember that? Yes. And do you know what happened after yes. that show that I made with uh, Julian? I got so interested in Victor Borger's story and the, using the interviews that we recorded in Denmark. I actually wrote a play about Victor Borger. Which did I, you? I did, yeah. Which I did uh, in Edinburgh, and then I did on the West End, actually. I've done those Victor Borger routines more times than you know them all. Okay. I know them all backwards. Yeah, I mean, just, just to touch back on what you were saying, there's three questions. If I'm doing this to an English audience who aren't a specialist musical audience, the three things would always be, I think he was from Sweden regarding Victor Borger, which everyone will come up to you and go, not necessarily in the right order. Yeah. So you get those, and... and, and What's the other? They always yes. Uh, what style would I? I was going to ask you for Les Dawson. <laughs> 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 you know, it's like every time these names crop up, and they all have that thing in common, don't they, of messing around with the styles. But Victor Borger. I mean, my parents. The, the two ways was they could <coughs> let their hair down in car journeys when, when the classical music behind it was like after about three hours on the way to Scotland or something. We'd go, Can we please play something else. The two sort of bits of light relief was some old Victor Borger cassette which would come out or. Um, 
what was the other thing? Uh, Flanders and Swan. Yeah. So that's the stuff that I grew up on. That got sort of imbued me with the love of cabaret and just thinking like, this stuff is brilliant. It's, yeah. it's not just funny, it's, there's more to it than that. Yeah. So I, I heard all the Victor Borger stuff and it, it, it just made me laugh out loud. I just completely fell in love with it. And this is, this is a good story. Imagine this. So one of the duties you have to do occasionally on a cruise ship as a, as a if you're, they call it a guest entertainer, you're on to do a couple of after dinner shows, is you have to host a table, a group of random um, sort of passengers, usually with a few single ladies or widows, you know, and you're supposed to be, you're there to steer the, the conversation away from sex, drugs, rock and roll, politics, everything else. They're, they're and ensure they all have a wonderful time and right. bat your eyelashes at them a bit. And um, there's this really sort of nice old lady, and she was sort of saying to me, you know, I really enjoyed your show, and, and, and who, who were you influenced by? What made you sort of do this thing? So I mentioned Victor Borger, and she sort of looked at me, and she said, I'll tell you a story about him. I went to one of his gigs, and I was really heavily pregnant, and I was sat in the front row, and it was in the round. And he saw me straight away and made a beeline for me, and he said, I hope, I hope that's not going to arrive during my show. And then he said, and every time kind of he walked past, he made some reference to it, and it became a running gag of the show. And then at the end of the show, he said, um, Ladies and gentlemen, you may think I've been a bit ungallant to this, this lovely lady here. The truth is, she's carrying my first grandchild, and it was his daughter. And she really? hadn't let on until that point. Right. And I, I suddenly, I nearly dropped my soup spoon. <laughs> I was like, kind of, I'm sat, hey, for real? And then she said this thing, which I've since shamelessly plastered all over my website. My father would have loved your show. And it's yes. like, take me now. That's sorry, knocking my own microphone. It was just such a magic moment to have that endorsement from, from Borger, who was like, for me, is it? I know you're probably, you've done it that many times, you're slightly sick of it, but... Um, no. It's still, for me, every, he, is, he is the royalty of, of musical cabaret. She sings an area, the so-called die area. <laughs> She seems very happy about it. Uh, okay, so can I just ask you, because this is an element that Victor Borgo, I think, troubled, was troubled by. Do you ever feel um, a lack of legitimacy in what you're doing? Um, that you're being talked down to, like the people saying, what a shame you didn't do this or what, or that. You know, that yes, that did used to bother me, but I've, it comes from the audience. It doesn't come from performers. I mean, I, I get to strut my stuff in situations that truly terrify me. The two things are like, I'll do a gig for, there's a, there's a chap called John Wilson, not the conductor. Uh, John Wilson, who was head of piano accompaniment at the Royal Northern for many years and is greatly loved and uh, has, has played with everybody who's passed through the, the, that kind of whole Northern music scene. And once every five years, he has a birthday party and they wheel a fleet of eight grand pianos into the Royal Northern, which is this huge sort of 600 seater auditorium. And they do these fantastic arrangements of Tannhäuser and things for eight pianos. And they also, the, the pianists that come also do little sort of solo things. And you've got, I mean, it is the cream, is like Peter Donahoe, Martin Roscoe, Larika Regal, I mean, all these people. And I'm one of the pianists in this field, so there's like eight tailcoats hanging in the dressing room. Mine's the eighth, you know, like next to Peter Donahoe's and Martin Roscoe's. It's, it's can you imagine? I mean, I feel like, I remember the first time I, I turned up to do, to rehearse in the afternoon and Peter Donahoe and Martin Roscoe were doing some duets. I said to the audience, I feel like, I feel like I've kind of like taken a, a wrong turn in my Ford Fiesta somewhere and ended up doing laps in Silverstone, you know, in this little car while these things are going past you. Um, so, so that's, but they, they're always incredibly kind, those people. And they will say to you, you know, after the show, like, I wish I could do what you do. And that, I mean, that's a really nice thing to hear from people who you've grown up listening to and these kind of, yeah, 
sort of huge edifices of, of Radio 3, you know, respectability. And also the kind of like being asked to do stuff on Radio 3 by the presenters also that you've known for years, Sean Rafferty and all those people who love, who love taking and playing with different composer styles and that. So you have this, um, that also, by the way, is terrifying because you know when, <laughs> if you're on Radio 3 doing some show and you're doing something, someone says, can you play, um, you know, can you play Brahms Lullaby in the style of Richard Strauss? And you, and it, um, you know, your heart is racing. And somebody said to me once, why, does that, why, is it, why do you find it so frightening? It's only sort of one man and his dog ever listening to those things. And I say, yeah, but even the dog has a degree in ethnomusicology. Because <laughs> you, know, so, 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 you know there's some Oxford Don somewhere, you know, going like, that's not Richard Strauss. God, man, what is this rubbish? So you're, it's, it's frightening, you know, when you consider the upper echelons that are listening. But the truth is that kind of most people are incredibly kind. But the audiences sort of just see, see your technique and think, why aren't you doing this on the concert platform? Yes, I mean, I think that is, I think it's looked down on, generally, my gut feeling, myself. Well, you're a clown, aren't you? But I mean, I just like, you know, I play up to that. I take through the white, te white tie and tails, but I have like big dotty socks, like, like a clown. Right. And I used to put a, a bust but upside down on, on the piano, so right. I'd see if people noticed that it was like classical music turned on its head sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, there is that thing. Look, it's very clever, but it's a, slight, it's a slightly wasted talent, isn't it? You get a little bit of that. Yeah. But I, I'll, I'll fight for its legitimacy because I think it's. I think it's. There's not many of us that do it, and you'd miss it if it wasn't around. So I think it's hugely important. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So do you think you'd have got to where you are today? I mean that not in any sarcastic way. Had you not taken that turn that you described? 
not in a million years. No, no, I don't, I, I don't have the classical technique to sit playing Rachmaninoff and Liszt and, and everything else, even Mozart, you know, to do it properly. And not, nor would I want to. It's not, it's not something that could, I mean, I love it. I love it. I love being immersed in it. I love, I, you know, I know most of the classical repertoire, but it's, no, it's not for me. I love, I love what I do much more. I love doing a show where every show is different. And I love the fact that if somebody says, can you play, as you say, you know, three blind mice, but can you make it sound like Shostakovich or Jerry Lee Lewis? And when there's a laugh, you're doing it, they go out thinking, we did that. We made that laugh because we created that you know, that kind of, those, those things. So we were part of it. And I love the interactiveness of that. And I love that it's fresh every time. And I love that it's slightly edgy because you never know what people are going to ask you. I've, I've released two CDs in my life and they both come from audience comments. The first one was that I was playing that Beethoven Moonlight. And because um, Night and Day is written in E flat, and this was quite a long time ago before I became quite so fluent in all the keys, I start the book, no, Moonlight in C minor, so you can do the transition into the, the E flat of Night and Day. <laughs> got like a, a bar and a half in at the Egham Music Society and uh, somebody shouted out from in the wrong key <laughs> shouted out in the middle of this routine you know with like an audience there and everything and then I went into Night and Day and there was a laugh and his, and his wife I think died the death of a thousand cuts and came up and apologised to me after so I'm so sorry about Frank um, <laughs> and so that was that so my first CD is called In the Wrong Key which I love as a title the second one's called All the Way Through yeah. which is exactly what you said. Why don't you play something all the way through? Yeah. And the thing is, if you have that comment enough, you have to, rather than kind of like fighting it, you have to realise everyone's thinking this. So you have to find a way of dealing with it. So I start the second show when I don't get the chance to do these two shows. I'll come on, sit down and play this piece, ostensibly of Chopin, a little Chopin etude, which gets quite fancy towards the end. And, and everybody claps. And I say, I played that because I've been asked so many times to do something all the way through. And who, by the way, who do you think it's by? And they all say Chopin. And I say, no, actually, actually it's by a lesser-known British composer, Harry the Piano, because it's one. <laughs> this is the sort of thing I wrote in the style of Chopin when I was when I was a teenager. And it's kind of nice, but you have to. But that sort of shows them, you know, that you can do something. But it also gets you off the hook of having to learn something difficult because you write it yourself. Now we we're talking about the problems in this problems yep. in the pub. Yes, yes. And uh, tell me, tell me about your experience when he, when he. So I phoned you up and I go, we're doing this series, Proms, about the Proms. Um, yeah. What was the first thing popped into your head? Uh, the Albert Hall, you know, obviously being inescapably the venue. And it was, it's something, it was, that, it was like the holy grail for me in the Albert Hall. You know, was, I was in the Boys Brigade and once a year you'd have like the Boys Brigade annual show would be in the Albert Hall. I remember my father taking the first prom about the age of seven, which was Mozart's 40th. And actually seeing, you know, seeing an orchestra, it's, it's just... A mesmeric experience for a kid, you know, and, and seeing as how that, that music was so important in my life, I was being surrounded with it all the time with no, no other sort of influences. So that, so the Albert Hall was, was, you know, as soon as you say anything about the proms, it's this huge kind of warm, chocolatey feeling that I'm enveloped in. And actually, my, one of my sort of fondest moments ever, where I did this charity thing in, um, it was called SOS Villages for, for AIDS in Africa when I, in the 80s. And... Um, it was like a pop audience. It's people who'd never been in the Albert Hall and never heard classical music before, and they got this orchestra together. And um, <laughs> about sort of an hour and a half in, they were very fidgety, you know, because they're just not used to sitting there listening, being silent, and, and like not kind of clapping every few minutes. And um, I was sort of called in to do a sort of bit of light relief, and my parents were in the front row there. I'm going to do 10 minutes. So, um, and I say, I explain this to Ali Jones, who's hosting it. And he's, um, he said, um, so we'll collect some something from the, from the audience as a suggestion. And it was to play some Wagner, Wagner in the style of, um, I can't remember what it was, Wagner in the style of something. And then he said, and so he, we'd sort of prearranged this because, sorry, he wanted to, um, 
he wanted to have something sure and set rather than sort of winging it, which I would have been happy to do, but they, they were slightly nervous about this. But then Ali Jones, bless him, said, off the, off the bat said, and could you throw in some Carly Minogue? So I start playing this Wagner and there's kind of people are sort of understanding, okay, that sounds a bit like Ride of the Valkyries and then we can see that he's doing something else. So there's a little, little laughter. And then I start bringing in, I should be so lucky in the right hand up the top. And then, then suddenly there's belly laughter. And because it's a release, because they're all been fidgeting, had to sit there, it got a far better reaction than it probably deserved. So there's like this, ah, at the end, you know, and my mum and dad are in the front row and everything. I'm thinking, take me now again. That was a, so that's the Albert Hall is anything to do with that, anything to do with the Bronx and the Albert Hall is fantastic for me. You've also, I mean, I know that you've also played for the Queen, haven't you? Yeah, I have played for the Queen. That was courtesy, really, of Alexander Armstrong. You know, once a year, you know, the Queen's a member of the WI. I think she's the, the patron of the she's, WI. She's got to be. The, yes. She's got to be the chief. She is the W in WI. Yeah. Um, and once a year, she goes to her local branch, which is in a rather lovely little village hall in Sandringham, and they organise some entertainment. So they had Alexander come down, and she loved. The, apparently, the Queen loves pointless, the quiz show. Right. goes out on the BBC. So they did a kind of pointless without the screens. And the Queen won. It sounds like a fix, but she actually won because she hit one of the things on the nail. <laughs> how many... They couldn't do it with all the computers, so they said, how many people do you think said that? And the Queen said, 12. And it was indeed 12. It wasn't fixed, so that was hilarious. <laughs> and then I was, doing, I was doing some requests, and I, I said to this very safe audience, ladies of a certain age, a couple of tunes to improvise on, ladies. And a Jerusalem and a national anthem. I mean, you know, wow, he could have knocked me down with a <laughs> with an um, acme ton weight. Um, in Thailand, you'd be executed for doing probably, that. yeah, yeah. But then, then I said, what style would you like it in? And you, you know, you think you're going to get Gilbert and Sullivan what, what might come. <laughs> what I hadn't counted on was this slightly rebellious woman in the back row who's a spring chicken at 65, <laughs> put her hand up and said, reggae. So the first thing I played to the Sovereign was the national anthem in reggae style. So there we are. There goes the knighthood. Hey! <laughs> so, yeah, if you're looking down a programme, what's the kind of thing that you would choose to go? Actually, my, my, my kind of main thing I, would, I enjoy the most, probably do the most, is listening to chamber music. You know, so that's, yeah, of any description, really. And just any, anything Mozart, really, as well. Mozart I've been obsessed with since I was a kid because and it's the first sort of style. It's, it's quite an easy style to get into because it's so... You say the word diatonic, you know, you, you probably want me to explain that. I mean, just, the, yeah. you can play it on the white notes. That's a diatonic scale. So, and as soon as you start, start bringing in the black notes, you've got this chromaticism, which tends towards another style. So this very sort of open classical style that everybody knows, Mozart. And what, what I love so much about it is when you try and start dissecting it, it's so simple on the page. You know, you could write a tune using only the notes of, just, just that. 200 years later, I just clap you the rhythm. And everybody knows what it is. Well, you've even played a note. I mean, that's fame, isn't it? You know, you're just, uh, just using the most, the, the most obvious tools. And then again, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll take a, that same, same chord and just play. And straight away, it's so distinctive. It's just a triad. It's just a sort of a million. There's, there's 10,000 of those in every Beethoven sonata. But Mozart concocts to, to, to do a, a sort of inversion of it. There's instantly, why is it so different? Because you've got this string quartet, which you really should have nice big spaces between each note of the chord. That's what you're told to do when you're learning orchestration. But he puts this two right close together at the bottom, viola right down the bottom of its register, violins a third apart, and this huge two octave gap between the viola and the second violin. I mean, like nobody had done that before. He, he just found ways 
of changing the most simple things and making the most memorable tunes using the most obvious tools. So I suppose that was my route into kind of playing in, in a style of Mozart, Alberti bass and all those, those kind of things are quite easy to emulate. Um, so if, if I, you know, tell, would you indulge me and just say, sure. you know, what are the, uh, the if, let's go through some composers. Somebody says Bach to you. What is that gesture you're thinking of? Bach. Um, so with with Bach, I mean, it's it's um, the first. If you're trying to sort of evoke the style, you 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 do it. I, I always the sort of first thing that comes to mind is what you learn as a grade five pianist, which is two part inventions. Yeah. So you 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 know you you, you take off a tune like. You know, and, and start playing it, breaking it down like that, and trying to repeat the the phrases kind of a bar's length. So you, you sort of you give the essence of playing it in a round or a, a fugal contrapuntal kind of style. I know I'm sorry, I'm getting a bit arcane here with the language, but it's it's just that thing of like you, you start one voice and then and then the next voice starts a bar or two bars later playing the same thing. So and it's it's like singing in a round, you know. And then it builds up, and it's the more voices you add, the more complex it becomes. So it's like playing chess in three dimensions. But uh, that's that's that instantly says bark to me. Or else, so that's the clever way of doing it or else you just start you just start peppering it with well-known bark, bark quotes you know that's the that's the cheats way of doing it yeah yeah okay so okay let's 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 just talk about um beethoven so you're somebody yeah. says beethoven and what are you thinking then um you, you, you would explain it to the audience by saying that beethoven is essentially mozart on a very angry day but, <laughs> but of course um I mean, the characteristics of Beethoven is that uh, he, he doesn't use... That's not Beethoven. Well, why use one note when you can use 16, you know? And then there's a... <laughs> oh, sorry, is that blasting you out? I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so huge, huge amounts of notes, very angry, and also lots of kind of swapping around the register. So either side of the harmony going on in the middle. There's lots of little things that are very distinctly Beethoven and certain chord progressions that he uses. Lots of, I'm going to use one of those words again, the Neapolitan six. Which, which Mozart does use, but not as much as Beethoven right. does. So. Uh, indulge me, one, yep. the, in that style you just did, let's yep. have a, uh, the high art, low art, I don't know, you name the tune, let's have a Beethoven version of... This is the thing, this 10? is the people read. I don't know. News at 10. Oh, God. Da, 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 da. No, no, is that, is that... A very hard tune to do. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't end on it. It's a... <laughs> that is a mother of a tune to ask to do in a Beethoven style. Uh, what do you fear? What are you? What are the things? You, oh God! There we go again. Um, people are asking. I mean, it's, it's. I mean, the news at ten thing is funny. When you get a tune that's just um, that 
in the very sort of well-known bit of it, sort of lands on a fourth or something, and so you know has, has a slightly odd shape to it, but is a well-known tune, so you can't pretend that you don't know it, yeah. but just does not lend itself, and it's you know that's I don't really fear it. It's just more of a hassle being able to turn it into something that's kind of musically pleasant as well as kind of like funny, and so you're trying to juggle these balls all the time. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you this slightly self-aggrandizing story because it's one of the best turnarounds of those I ever got. Somebody in the audience said, can you play the theme tune to Jaws? It's famously two notes yeah. in the style of the Jersey Boys. And it's, it's a big laugh because it's kind of funny, you know, and it's kind of ha, ha, ha. But then where does that leave me? And I'm thinking, shit. And, it's, and then suddenly some L'Esprit d'Escalier descended on me and I thought, oh, that's a... You should be laughing and applauding at that point, Randy. That's what they did. I, 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 <laughs> I didn't want to cover the sound. <laughs> oh, I see. I see. Yeah. So sometimes you get little escape routes offered to you like that. But if, if, they, if they set out, there's only going to be one winner if somebody sets out to, to thought they will win yeah. because, you know, they can ask for something impossible. Regular listener Janet Hattam, uh, who is in Australia. Hello, Hurrah. Janet. Asks, is it possible, Harry, for you to create a fanfare, maybe in the style of Snoop Dogg, maybe Young, Wild and Free, that track, something like that? Oh, OK. I know it well. <laughs> uh, young, is that, is that the... Uh... So this has been the episode about Harry. Well, we're not going to cut to Harry. We have Harry here. One final piece, if you don't mind. Any ideas? <laughs> Two contrasting ideas. Yeah, I mean, this is going to sound preset, and it is preset in as much as I've done this before, but um, it's, it's quite a fun thing. Do you want me to show you the two things? Or, Absolutely. Yeah. So there's there's an opera by somebody. I think this is the only piece I know about this guy. Balf, do you know anything about him? He no. wrote this opera called, I think it's called Bohemian Girl. One-hit wonder, but better to be a one-hit <laughs> wonder than a no-hit wonder. That's correct, yeah. And I used to do this with a, a couple of singers called the Opera Babes. I was touring with them, and there's this lovely tune. <laughs> Very sort of staid Victorian parlour tune, played by some young, accomplished young woman in a high neck dress called Kitty. You know, um, and somebody once asked, "Could you do that tune uh, in the style of Winifred Atwell, who's the old stride pianist responsible for Black and White Rag, the old snooker tune?" <laughs> See, that is perfect, isn't it? That very staid thing and that kind of ridiculous. Anyway, so um, it sounds like this.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. so much, Harry. Well, you're welcome. I've, I've enjoyed every second. Thanks for having me.